Welcome to Bruin One Ear and Out the Other. I'm Nakin. And I'm Pranav. Our guest on today's podcast is Mark Zarati, CEO of Cinemark. We had the opportunity to speak with Mark on March 6th. We talked to him about UCLA Anderson launching the Disney Channel, leading DreamWorks Animation as COO, and helping Cinemark reach new heights as the CEO for the last five years. Nakin and I really discuss whether we should release the episode amidst the COVID crisis. Um, as you guys probably know, movie theaters are closed across the nation. Um, but for us, what really stood out was Mark's passion for the movie theater business. He mentioned how it's withstood technological innovation. And, and we believe that it, Mark's a great operator. And, and for several reasons I'll get into that it's going to overcome this crisis as well. Um, if you look at analyst reports, and Mark doesn't know that we're, we're promoting him right here, but Cinemark is poised to come out as the number one movie theater chain. It was previously number three uh, due to his stewardship of the company. Um, they've managed cash flows um, better than their competitors uh, who may go bankrupt after this unfortunate crisis. And, and while that's unfortunate, we thought we would highlight his passion uh, for the movie business and, and hopefully inspire people to go frequent small businesses and, and movie theaters uh, after this crisis. So without further ado, here is our interview with Mark. Hi, Mark. Thank you for joining us on Bruin One Ear and Out the Other. Happy to be here. Thank you. Because this is a UCLA-themed podcast, one of the things we wanted to do was ask you one of the questions that current applicants have to answer as part of the application. As always, we think it serves as a great introduction for our listeners. So the prompt we've selected is, describe the most significant challenge you have faced and the steps you have taken to overcome this challenge. How has this challenge affected your achievement or personal growth? Okay, I got to think about that one. Um, as you know, I'm not looking at these questions ahead of time, so you, you got me. You got me nice and fresh, which is great. Um, I think maybe one of my um, most challenging spots, interestingly, has been one that I faced just five years ago when I stepped into the position at uh, at Cinemark because um, I had not had previous experience of of being a, a chief executive of a public company. And, you know, I'd had a lot of experience at Disney along the way. And um, it's, it's interesting that, you know, uh, you know, at a later point in my career, I think it was maybe the most challenging and maybe that's what made it the most interesting and um, invigorating for me as well, because I was challenged to, uh, you know, to helm a great company. It was already a good company. I just had to, keep it that way and maybe improve it, but along the way also uh, stretch myself into some areas that I hadn't previously had experience in. A lot of real estate, uh, a lot of public company dealing with, um, with uh, investors and, um, and reporting to a board as opposed to reporting to an individual person and um, really feeling the responsibility for you know, an overall company with, with thousands and thousands of employees. So it was, um, it was really good, but challenging. 
and uh, just the fact of, you know, I was able to pull on a lot of my earlier experiences to help, but no question it took a lot of perseverance to, um, to, um, to, to succeed in it. Thanks, Mark. Let's go on to some of those early experiences that you just kind of highlighted. Uh, maybe starting back from uh, your experience at Westmont College, you majored in sociology and business and economics. Did you know kind of what your career trajectory was going to be at that time? You know, I really didn't. You know, I, 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 I did do a double major there in econ and sociology. And, and when I left Westmont, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, but I, I took a, a job just because it was just so um, interesting and so different and out of the box. I worked with at-risk junior high school boys for two years in South Glendale, California. And we did everything from basketball uh, leagues to soccer leagues to after school tutoring to even a little mini bike club. And I made some great friends with these these young boys. Some of them I'm still in contact with. And and then after that, I applied to, to UCLA Business School. At the time, it was called the Graduate School of Management and uh, came over to um, to UCLA in the fall of 78, had two fabulous years experience there, making some great friends along the way. And, and that's what led me to the Walt Disney Company in 1980. So during your time at, uh, at Westmont, uh, we did some research and found out that you, you met your wife there. How did that happen? I did, we were freshmen. And it was our freshman year, and and uh, you know they have a lot of you know first year student mixers, and we met there and started dating. Um, really, uh, after a couple of months, dated um, at Westmont for those four years, and and got married shortly after in '76, and and uh, uh, have been married ever since. Three kids and five grandkids, and it's been it's been a great run, and she's been a spectacular partner along the way. And so right now you, you currently serve on the board of trustees for, for Westmont. How did you end up getting involved with that? And what would you say is the, uh, the most rewarding part of, of giving back to your school? You know, I, I stayed involved in Westmont right after we graduated. And then um, in the early nineties, I was able to, to join uh, the Westmont board and, and um, they, they, had asked me to come do that. It gave me the opportunity to give back in a very tangible way. The Westmont board is um, very involved. I mean, not in the day-to-day -day management of school, obviously, but clearly in the in the in the direction and the and the fiduciary responsibilities of of, of of keeping that institution. It was a really good school when I was there, and I think it's it's even even better today. In fact, even literally just today, before coming to to speak with you, I met with a group of, of young students on campus because I happened to be in Santa Barbara uh, this weekend. So, um, and I, I love the opportunity to not only serve on the board, but also get a chance to, to interact with current students. I wanted to come back to that experience that you mentioned. Right after Westmont, it sounded like you tutored at-risk junior high school boys in, in sports as well as academics. It seems like that was really your first leadership experience. Yeah, probably so. You know, um, it was you know it was it was just extremely rewarding because these kids were 
were great kids and and uh they they had the they had the opportunity to get involved in sports and like i said a like a little mini bike club we got Honda to donate motorcycle little small Honda 70s for us and um and these uh these young boys all grew up and became young men and i've had the opportunity to stay in touch with several of them and and it's 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 been really an important part of our life That's great to hear. It sounds like a, a lot of that strategic partnerships or, or, or business sense kind of bled into maybe Cinemark, but also kind of leading you to go to business school. Yeah, you know, UCLA was a was a was a, a really good experience. And from the from the first literally from the first week, you know, I made some very, very good friends at uh at UCLA, probably my closest friend there. I'm still in, in really good contact with him, Eric Mockover and Eric and I both left UCLA um, in 1980. We both went to work for Disney. And Eric had an educational background. And after a few years, he came back and worked at UCLA in, in a whole bunch of various roles, uh, dean positions. And, um, and he just left a couple of years ago. But Eric and I still have remained in very close contact, as well as Nancy Renasto, who who was a very good friend, and she actually came to Disney. Three of us in that graduating class of 1980 um, from UCLA, all three of us went to work at Disney. And I, you know, I, I got the job at Disney via um, meeting a on-campus human resources person at what, what we used to call a brown bag lunch on Friday. And the business school would have these guys come in and and uh, I met this person, and then when it came time to look for a job, I followed back up with him, and lo and behold, I, I got a job at, at uh, Walt Disney Home Video. I was the first employee hired at Walt Disney Home Video. So to tell us a little bit about what that was like, because um, Home Video probably was, was probably in its infancy at that point, and what, were they, what was Disney looking to, to do there? Well, it was totally in its infancy, and, and what we did is we – we got 20 titles from Disney, things like Mary Poppins and Hot Lead and Cold Feet and a couple of the animated titles. And we had 20 titles and we took them out on VHS tapes and, and beta tapes, if you can actually remember it, when those two were competing formats. And then that led to, um, you know, about a half a dozen of us getting moved over to be the launch team for the Disney Channel in 83 and then that led to the DVD business at Disney, and and that led to a little bit of television, and and then eventually uh, the theatrical business. So I just had a real great opportunity to be at Disney during very very high growth years. Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg came in '84, trans trans really transformed the studio into a big motion picture group. Prior to that, Disney had really emphasized outdoor entertainment. And so I was just at the the right spot um, with a really good opportunity and a great growth spurt for Disney. And I was always on the the um, the studio side of the business and made wonderful friends and colleagues uh, along the way and had a had a 30 year career at the Walt Disney Company. One thing you just brought up during your 30 years at Disney was that you were instrumental to the launch of the Disney Channel. What was it like pitching uh, the Disney Channel, or, or what was the biggest challenge to getting it launched? Well, 
I I, I want to be be clear about this. I was one of the I was one of the members of the team that launched the Disney Channel. I was relatively young in my career. I think my job there to start was marketing manager, and I think I left as the marketing director. But the big challenge at the time was that there was no roadmap. We had a blank sheet of paper. I mean, the only other uh, big cable group that was out there was was HBO at the time, and uh, you know it was a it was envisioned by some of the some of the more senior people at Disney that let's let's get into the cable business, and so they 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 put a team together. I happened to be one of them, and uh, the program was pitched to cable operators across the country, and originally it was a pay cable. It was not on um, basic cable. It was a pay cable, and people were paying um, eight nine dollars a month to subscribe to the Disney Channel. It's interesting in a way. It was almost the '80s version of Disney Plus today. You know, yeah. today it's it's on the internet and it's streaming. And back in the '80s, when cable was you know the newest greatest thing, um, this was how the Disney Channel was launched. And it's interesting how how it's all evolved now and gone through cable and DVD. And now it's the channel, the Disney channel is still there, but now the the real modern version of that is the streaming version with, with Disney plus. Sure. And so at that time with Disney channel, was the, was the channel primarily focused on airing Disney owned movies or was there like, TV shows that were being produced at that time or kind of what was the the business model? It was a combination of things. It was, it was a lot of the uh, reruns from the wonderful world of Disney. It was the the space where Disney would, would air, you know, their film library, but there was also um, uh, the animated movies and there was original programming as well. And depending on the time of day and the morning, it tended to be more, younger children programming. And as you progressed into the afternoon, it was a little bit older after school programming. And at night, we tried to program uh, the kind of movies and television shows that whole families could sit down and watch together. So it it wasn't just a children's channel. Um, It was really a whole family channel, depending on on what time period you were viewing. And it was, you know, highly successful. And then it went from a pay tiered to a basic tier, and it was one of the most successful, and still is one of the most successful uh, cable channels out there through your local cable operator. Yeah, I, I know for for a fact. I I enjoyed watching Disney as a as a kid, and some of my favorite movies were were original movies. There, um, you have a a favorite that Disney helped kind of put together an original movie. Well, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one, and and I can take no credit for it because I was I was long gone from the Disney Channel. I was actually in the theatrical business, but um, the Disney Channel made um, High School Musicals, High School Musical in the late '90s, early 2000s, and they were so successful as original movies that the I think it was High School Musical three was actually a theatrical movie first. So it started on the Disney Channel in great success, and then the studio picked it up, made High School Musical three for, for the theatrical market, and it was a great it was a great example of of um, of synergy. So it, it didn't always start in theatrical and move its way down to the channel. Sometimes it actually started at the channel, and and 
and uh, was the inspiration for a, a major motion picture. And and coming full circle, I think it's also on Disney Plus now as a reality TV. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, Disney has always been really good at that. They've always been really good at um, creative content. Um, when I was there, and I think it continues today under Bob Iger's leadership, you know, content is the single most important thing. And there's there's probably not a better studio in, in modern history in, in creating content, uh, content and what, what Bob Iger and his team's been able to do with, with, um, you know, with, uh, with Marvel and with the Pixar acquisition and Lucasfilm and most recently Fox studios, um, has really made Disney, a um, the absolute leader in, in, in content creation and now direct to the consumer with, um, with Disney plus. But I take no credit for those things. I mean, I was I've, I left Disney in 2010 and was able to move my career in another way. But um, but I was certainly able to see the impetus of that under, um, you know, a lot of good leadership going back to Card Walker. And and then, of course, all the years that Michael Eisner was uh, was CEO and then uh, and then Bob. I was there with for many of the years with with Bob Iger as well. We focus primarily on your time at Disney in the home entertainment business. And as you mentioned, you start to transition towards the theatrical side during your time at Disney. Uh, can you tell us about that transition and maybe uh, some other career highlights uh, working with that team? Well, I had I had a, a short stint in the domestic distribution business in um in the late 80s, and then had five years at Buena Vista Television. And then in 92, I was really given a, a great opportunity to, um, <clears throat> to head up a group called Buena Vista International. And Buena Vista International is the theatrical distribution arm for major motion pictures. So we, we, uh, we took what had been a, um, consortium of third-party distributors, and we brought it in-house and opened up Disney distribution offices around the world in about 27 countries. So we took Disney and Pixar at the time um, movies, and we distributed them in movie theaters around the world. That was a, a great challenge. It was a great fun. We were you know, learning on the road and learning on the fly to open up these um, theatrical distribution offices in, you know, literally everywhere from Japan and Korea to all the European countries and, of course, all the Latin America countries and, and really did that from um, the early 90s until, um, until uh, you know, 2006 and seven, and then I got the opportunity for it to be a worldwide theatrical job. So I, you know, I was just a fortunate person to be at Disney during these huge growth years and great product development and, you know, got the opportunity to work for some spectacular people along the way. So when you were working at, at Buena Vista International and helping to distribute the Disney and Pixar movies internationally, did the movies translate well with foreign audiences? Did they kind of have the same positive reaction that the United States is? And, and were there specific countries that liked specific movies? And were there any 
ones that you remember off the top of your head that were just complete flops internationally or didn't have the same kind of traction that they had in the United States? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question. Um, The ones that translate the best are the animated movies, whether they're Disney um, animated or Pixar animated, because those stories um, tend to be universal. And also we could dub them in as many as 40 or 45 languages. So you, you could be watching The Little Mermaid or The Lion King, the original Lion King or Aladdin um, in, or Toy Story in you know, any language of the world and you would be thinking that movie was made for you. So those translated the best. And then on the live action side, the big action adventure movies, you know, whether it be the Pirates of the Caribbean or going back to things like even Pearl Harbor and The Rock, um, those big action adventure movies tended to translate very well uh, as well. The ones that were more difficult to translate were ones that were based on U.S. sports because, you know, the sports we like here, baseball and American football, um, don't translate as well to other parts of the world. So it wasn't that they were necessarily big flops, but they would do better domestically than um, than they would do internationally, where the, the big pirate movies or, like I said, uh, you know, The Rock or, or um, uh, Pearl Harbor, and, you know, there was just so many along that, that line. Th- those would, would translate around the world, and we're able to make those work everywhere. And and it was fun. And, you know, we would try and customize the marketing campaigns so that, you know, um, we would uh, look at the American campaign and many times try and translate that uh, so that it would um, it would hit the right chords with with audiences in various parts of the world. So Europe or Korea doesn't remember the Titans. Is that <laughs> Well, you know, I love that movie, by the way. It's one of my favorite movies. But, but no, that's a that's the definition of a movie that would do that that would do better in the United States than um, necessarily around the world. But it doesn't mean that it was a big failure. Or you take a movie like The Mighty Ducks, right? It's based on a hockey team here. That's gonna that's gonna work um, better in the United States. But sometimes you get surprised. I'll, I'll tell you when you got surprised on. Cool Runnings, Jamaica Bobsleds, the comedy and the heart of that movie worked around the world. And it's not one that you would have necessarily called to work around the world. Or another one that you wouldn't have necessarily thought would work around the world was Sister Act. You know, it's, it's, um, but, but what really translated was the music. You know, music tends to work and translate very well. Um, Modern day, uh, example of that, it wasn't a Disney movie, it was a Fox movie two years ago, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, that, you know, the music of Queen, that, that movie worked around the world in gigantic ways and primarily because of the music. That's really fascinating. So it sounds like you took some of the learnings from Buena Vista where you really understood that the animated movies translated well internationally and later you became COO at DreamWorks Animation. Was that kind of your thought process? You know, that was just, that, again, that was just, I, I had worked for Jeffrey Katzenberg for 10 years uh, at the studio, and, and, and he was instrumental, probably the single most instrumental person in transforming Disney 
theatrical business from he came in 84 and I think Jeffrey stayed for 10 or 11 years and he was instrumental in in revolutionizing um, the Walt Disney Studios animation touchstone movies and so um, uh, he had left Disney in 94 I stayed until 2010 and and I got an opportunity to go over and work with him for a short period of time it wasn't long after that 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 um, that uh, DreamWorks was sold to Universal. So it was just a really good opportunity at a good time uh, to go work for a guy that, that we all um, learned so much from, you know, a guy that, that, you know, probably one of the hardest working people in all of Hollywood. And we'll, we'll get into streaming in a little bit, but um, since we're fans of Jeffrey Katzenberg, thoughts on Quibi? You know, I I can't wait I can't wait to to try it out. It comes out next month, and I'm going to be one of the first subscribers to check it out. And so, you know, Jeffrey is a force of nature, and of course, he's got uh, Meg working with him, and as as his day to day CEO. So, um, I, I think that's uh, that's one that I certainly wouldn't bet against. I haven't seen it. I haven't been able to try it yet. I can't wait to, but I, I wouldn't bet against those guys. Oh yeah, you got one of the the best CEOs from the tech industry and then from the yeah. industry as well. Speaking of CEOs, you're now the CEO of Cinemark, uh, the third largest theater chain in the U.S. since 2015. Uh, can you describe how you fell into the role? You know, it, it, it goes back to, um, it goes back to a building, building a relationship with some of the Cinemark executives when we were, um, licensing our movies to them and the founder of Cinemark is a gentleman named Leroy Mitchell absolutely wonderful person and um, Leroy invited me to come on their board of directors um, in uh, early 2015 and I did and then when I got there it wasn't too long and the existing CEO was retiring he had reached I think about 70 years old he was about ready to retire and they had looked around for uh, various candidates, and then Leroy approached me and said, "You know, would you consider this role?" And you know, I was um, I was surprised, but but also honored. And um, I'd gotten to know a lot of the management people there, and I certainly knew the board well because I was a member of the board. And so it was a big decision because it required a move from Los Angeles to North Dallas, Texas in a community called Plano, Texas. And, um, you know, I'd always lived and worked in California, but um, I chose to do it and got my wife on board with me. And it's turned out to be an exhilarating, challenging and energizing opportunity for the last five years. Would you say there is a, a little bit of a culture shock for moving from LA to, to Plano, Texas and what would you say is the, is the best part about living in Texas? Well, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a culture shock. Um, Dallas is a um, very cosmopolitan city, and um, you know, there's a lot of corporate head, head, corporate companies there. Whether it's Toyota just moved their North American headquarters there, American Airlines is there, AT and T is there. Uh, Southwest Airlines is there. So it's a very culturally diverse cosmopolitan city. And um, I knew enough about it, having gone back and forth, 
Um, and I would say that um, it was a relatively easy trans uh, uh, um, place to move and transport myself to. People are extremely friendly, hardworking. They care about their jobs. They care about their families. So it's really the same, the same kind of values that that that, that I'd lived with in in LA. And I think some of the misconceptions that Californians have about Texas are just, you know, in, in a lot of cases, just not true. Uh, at least what I see in Dallas, it's a great place to work with wonderful people, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. That's fair. I guess sometimes the, the stereotypes aren't true. Um, yeah, this is true. <laughs> that The stereotypes are not true. And uh, so, uh, and you know, the interesting thing about Dallas, too, is Dallas is a little bit like L.A. in this way. Um, very few people were born and raised in Los Angeles. Most people moved to Los Angeles. I was one of them. I was born and raised in Sacramento, California. And it's similar in Dallas. There's not that many people that were born and raised in Dallas because Dallas has grown so dramatically over the last 20, 25 years that most people have moved in there. And, um, and they're looking for friends and they're looking for, you know, to raise families and there's a lot of jobs and there's a lot of growth. And so it's a, it's a good place to live. And, and, and um, I've made a lot of friends there. And there's a lot of football there. So I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I am a football <laughs> fan too. Yes. Really yeah. Titans out there. That's why I think you like it. Who's your team by the way? Well, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still a total Bruin fan. I mean, I, I, I really like Baylor and I like, uh, and and I like uh, TU, but my my favorite football my favorite football fan I've got to say is, is still the Bruins. And you know every year I, I don't lose faith. It's always going to be a better year next year. So I'm still a Bruins fan. Uh, so when you took over, moving back to to Cinemark, when you took over in in 2015, what were some of the the biggest priorities that you were trying to to work through? And I know you had said that the company had already been successful, but you were looking to kind of help increase that and, and take it to the next next step you know the the single most important thing uh, that i've tried to really focus on there is the guest services and the guest experience and so you know that that's found its way into a lot of things probably the first thing that we really jumped into a lot is we recognized that this new concept of redoing the theaters and putting in these luxury electric recliners with heated seats were a big deal so we've made a big emphasis to do that um, in as much of the circuit as we can. And um, so that was probably one of the first things. And then, and then I had the opportunity to, to bring in a, uh, a new chief marketing officer, and she's been transformational in, in helping to revitalize the way we, we go after uh, digital and social marketing. And, and we, we did a um, specific uh, exhibitor-sponsored subscription program the first one done in the business by by a major exhibitor and that's been a gigantic success called movie club um, and that's been really really important and then we've done a lot of work um, on our food and beverage area and trying to expand all the various things you can get at a cinemark so now you know 75 percent of our theaters offer expanded food and more than 50 percent offer some form you can get a beer you can get a glass of wine you can get some spirits and we're not trying to turn them into bars we're just trying to allow people to have a glass of wine if they go to see a movie 
and so um and then and then maybe you know just the the opportunity to 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 say you know let's really focus on this guest experience with a sense of urgency and and there was a great team at Cinemark when I came and we've added a few people here and a few people there and I, I think that we've been able to continue to push the envelope and and uh, and it's been a fun time and it's clearly been a challenging time with the industry as well with everything that's going on in the home we've had to do these innovations to make the theaters new and modern and comfortable and easy ways to buy tickets in order to continue to encourage people to leave their home and and go out and see a, a big cinematic experience what, what's going on at home you just alluded to it um what are some of these changes is it the disney plus and netflix well you know i wouldn't say i wouldn't say streaming is certainly not new i mean netflix and hulu and amazon they've been around for seven eight nine ten eleven twelve years um and Disney Plus is new this year, but you know there's better television in the American consumer's home today than there's ever been, and people are tending to you know uh, adapt their viewing within the living room. There's there's less viewership of legacy television, and a lot of that viewership has moved over to the streaming world, and we've all benefited from it. And what we've needed to do on the theatrical side is just make the the movie-going experience outside of the home um, to improve that, and I and that's what we've tried to do with the luxury loungers and redoing our theaters and adding in the food and bev and and um, I think you know if we don't continue to adapt and improve the movie theaters, then then um, that that business is going to fall away. We've been able to to uh, continue to grow our business. Over the last four or five years, 2018 was the biggest box office year in the history of the motion picture business. And 2019, although it was four or five percent less than 18, was the second biggest year ever. So, you know, it's alive and well out there. We just got to continue to, you know, evolve and, and uh, improve the, the movie going experience. Right. I, I think that's a key point that people tend to think they have this misconception that, you know, the movie theater is going out of business, but it, it sounds like there's been a lot of box office success. But one thing I, I wanted to, to ask about is historically movies that, that were considered for awards and that were winning awards primarily in, in the Oscars um, had to be released in theaters, but, but movies most recently like Roma last year and The Irishman this year were released on Netflix and may have had a, a limited theatrical release to qualify, but that's their kind of predominant home. So how has this trend of, of new movies, I guess you could say even better quality ones, ones considered for, for major awards being on streaming services kind of affected uh, the, the moviegoers experience? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think there's been a big, I don't think there's been a big change in it, you know. Um, uh, the two that you you mentioned, uh, Roma and um, Irishman, they both had, as you said, they kind of had qualifying and more limited theatrical releases. And um, uh, if I'm, I've got to go back in my head, Roma, I think, won Best um, International Picture and and it won one or two other awards. And I think Irishman got, um, let me see, got one or two, one, did it get it? Any, did it win awards this year? It got nominated for a lot. I'm not sure that it won anything spectacular. 
didn't run into the big courts. But but long story short, you know, uh, we we think that that Netflix is a is a really good service, and at some point maybe we'll be able to play those those Netflix movies on a you know on an exclusive window um, that can work for both Netflix and the uh, exhibitors. So. Um, uh, they can both live. They can both live. Netflix has been around for, like I said, ten plus years, doing unbelievable, uh, transformational um, work in the home. Uh, to this, to date, they haven't been a big force in a significant way, like the big studios in in um, in theatrical movie going. No, that's that's a good point, and. Uh... One of the the other potential competitors, I guess you could say, um, that just recently went out of business in January this year is uh, MoviePass. Why do you think that uh, MoviePass had such a, a great meteoric rise and then uh, the same kind of meteoric fall? Well, MoviePass was an independent company. It, it was not it was not sponsored by any of the exhibitors or any of the studios, and they had a financial arrangement that um that they just couldn't sustain it was not a sustainable model you know it was pay ten dollars a month and go see as many movies as you want and yet they had to pay um the exhibitors so it's financially uh sustainable um when movie actually even before movie pass came out we were actively involved in putting together our subscription plan so uh, sometimes i think the perception is that 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 um our movie club was a reaction to movie pass. It, that really is not the way the sequence went. We were, we were really close and actively researching the best way to go. Movie pass came out, mediocre rise, as you said, and then a very quick fall because it just wasn't financially sustainable. And what we've created in movie club, uh, is very much substantially, um, uh, financially, sustainable we have you know over 950,000 members they pay ten dollars a month they can come to a movie uh, at Cinemark if they don't use their if they don't use their pass that month it rolls over to the next so they have two if they don't use it it rolls to the next so they have three so that you never lose the benefit of it and uh, and you come to the theater and and you um, you get 20% off on concessions and you can reserve your seat online with no fees. So that's why consumers have been have been really really um uh, embracing it because um it's a subscription model that if you um you don't use it for a month or two, you still get the benefit in month 3 or month 4. Um so it's it's been a, it's been a fun thing to do because we've tried to make the movie going experience simple and easy. You do it on the app and very, very um, frictionless for for you know today's young and modern moviegoer. And you've highlighted uh, some of the investments in the customer experience. Kind of, you made investments in virtual reality as well as the Super Gaming League, bringing Fortnite tournaments into the movie theater. Um, what does the future of entertainment look like, and, and what are these bets or, or the strategy behind these bets? Well, Super League Gaming, we, we actually own a, a small minority interest in, and and we have done, you know, lots of experiments, experiments with them 
um, not only with Fortnite, but also with Minecraft for younger kids with with um, leagues and tournaments. And, you know, our hope is that Super League Gaming is able to grow their business and really have it scalable um, in movie theaters across the country. So we're very, very supportive of trying all their new initiatives. And relative to virtual reality with the void, we we put a void. It's the only one in a exhibitor anywhere in the country. We have it in our big Dallas, Texas theater, and it's fantastic. We 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 took out our box office because so many people are walking in with their tickets already on their phone, and and using kiosks instead. We put the void, you know, immersive virtual uh, virtual reality experience where our, our box office was about 2,000 square feet. And people love it. We've everything from Star Wars to Jumanji uh, to Avengers and to Wreck-It Ralph. Are we so remember been... the Titans VR? Say that again. Remember the Titans VR? No, we haven't. We haven't had Remember the Titans VR. Although I would like that because I love football. So, um, but no, it's it's been the thing that's great about the Void is it's just so immersive and you do it with friends. So you're actually walking around through the whole maze as a group of three or four people. And it's been very successful in, in Dallas and we hope to open uh, a couple more this coming year. So one of the things you, you just kind of touched on there is, is the Avengers. And not too long ago in, in November last year, Martin Scorsese made national news by making comments that uh, Marvel movies not being cinema um, and expressing a, a disinterest because, and I think part of the quote was he called them closer to theme park rides, um, too market tested and lacking uh, the humanizing signature of an individual artist. So kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on Marvel movies. Well, I have, I am a huge Marvel fan. So, um, you know, when when we when I got to see Marvel, you know, Avengers Endgame this year, I mean, that was a that was a big moment. It was kind of like seeing Star Wars Episode Nine because, you know, I've seen all those as well. And when you when they all get wrapped up like Avengers did, I mean, that's a great moment. And um, <clears throat> the track record of what Marvel has brought to theaters around the world is is almost unparalleled. Um, with their cinematic, you know, greatness and, and also commercial appeal. So uh, you're talking to a guy that loves these movies, both from a, as a fan and also as a, as a exhibitor. So um, team Captain America or team Iron Man? <laughs> I would say team Iron Man. I'll, okay. go, I'll, I'll go back. I'll go back. I'll go back to Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Not good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm team Iron Man all the way. Yeah. And it yeah. sounds like we're not a uh, team Martin Scorsese there. Well, I would I'm I didn't make any comment about Martin Scorsese. <laughs> I mean, I I I've loved a lot of the Martin Scorsese movies. So, I'm not making any 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 uh comment to the negative on on him. I'm just making positive comments about, you know, about what's um what's been done by Marvel. Awesome. And then uh, what would your last movie uh, be that you watched in a Cinemark movie theater? The last one that I just saw? Yeah. 
The last one that I just saw in a Cinemark movie theater was Sonic the Hedgehog. I went about about two weeks ago. I went to our theater next door because you know it opened so strong that I that uh, I wanted to go see it. As a, obviously, it was a the first in in this series. I'm sure in the success there's going to be there's going to be others uh, tomorrow night because I had I didn't get a chance to see it um, beforehand. But tomorrow night, my wife and I um, are going to go see the new Pixar movie Onward. And I'm really excited about seeing that because I've been a Pixar fan going back to the original Toy Story. The, the, those original, those Toy Story movies are my favorite animated series. So, um, you know, I'm a giant Pixar fan. So I want to go, I want to go see the new Pixar movie tomorrow night. So team Woody or team Buzz? If, if Woody, Woody the whole way, man. Yeah. Woody. You got You got to love Woody. And, and, uh, Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> I like Buzz Lightyear because because I like the character and I also love Tim Allen. So, but but still, you know, you got to choose one or the other. I'll take I'll take Woody. And then maybe uh, your, your favorite movie outside of Pixar. My favorite movie outside of Pixar. Um, gosh, you know, you, you you surprise me with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna probably you know age myself and. And um, you know, go back to some of the more some of the more classic movies because I I really do like classic cinema. So um, you know, I might even go back to you know things like like Gone with the Wind. I know it goes way back; it's way before my era. But it's just you know, you just it's it was almost like it's almost like reading a book when you see a movie like that. So I, I've over the years I've I've tried to see almost. Not every one of them. I've missed some, but I try and go back and see all the Academy Award winners going all the way back, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You mentioned kind of growing up in, in Sacramento. Was this something growing up in your childhood that you just had a lot of exposure to film from your parents or or kind of when did that? No, just as just as a consumer, you know, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't driven into me by my by my parents. But you know what's so interesting is that where I used to go to the movies in Sacramento was at the uh, Sayufi uh, Domes in Arden. And um, Cinemark bought Century Theaters about 13, 14 years ago. And we had the great fortune of where we just redid those old theaters um, in the great zone in Sacramento called Arden. And we put in brand new modern uh, Century slash Cinemark Theater in the same spot that I used to go to a movie in when I was a kid. So I was going to ask, uh, you know how John Wooden has his golden chair in Polly Pavilion? Yes. That's reserved. I think you got to put one for you in the same. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't have a golden chair. And in fact, tomorrow night, when I go to see, when I go to see Honor tomorrow night, I already bought my tickets online using movie club. So I bought the tickets because we, 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 you know, we give all of our employees um, passes to go, but we all say, you know, don't go opening weekend. Opening weekend is reserved for people that are, for our customers that are buying. Go, go wait till the second week, midweek, and then go. But I, I want to go see it so bad. I bought tickets for tomorrow night. So you were describing kind of the, the renovation happening in Sacramento. Have you had a chance to, to go back to Sacramento since then? And I know in the last couple of years, 
Uh, they got a brand new, the Sacramento Kings got a brand new arena. And it looks like the, uh, the soccer team, the Sacramento Republic, are getting a brand new soccer stadium in 2022. Yes, I've been back to Sacramento many times. And, and we, we put the new theater in Arden, which is a Cinemark Century Theater. And also where the Kings are downtown, uh, we, well, there's a there's a completely redone Cinemark Theater right next to Kings to the Kings Stadium there, and it's just doing fantastic. So Sacramento is a really good market, as is San Francisco. We've got a lot of theaters there, and and um, you know one thing we haven't mentioned is we've got a lot of theaters in Latin America. We have theaters in every country in Latin America, south of Mexico, except Venezuela. So you know a good 20% of our business comes from comes from our 1,500 screens or almost 2,000 screens in Latin America. Speaking about foreign countries, uh, this year's Best Picture Oscar went to, to Parasite, a foreign film, and that's the first time that that's ever happened. So does, this, does that signal that maybe more foreign language films have a, have a chance of being you know, shown in, in theaters? Well, I, I, think, I think what it says is that great movies are going to get their due, and 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 this was a really really strong movie. It was really good. I don't know if you guys saw it, but you know it it, it just built during the first act and built in the second act, and the third act was just you know mayhem and all kinds of surprises came. So it was just a really good movie, and and I thought the Academy recognizing it was was a really good thing. I think it's got to be encouraging for you know international filmmakers and. You know, we always think of the U.S. and the U.S. does about eleven billion dollars in box office, but you know, the rest of the world does about thirty-two billion dollars in box office. So, so you know, the the worldwide box office is north of forty million dollars, and only eleven of it coming from the United States and Canada. And um, but still, uh, you know, a lot of that box office are American movies and. The truth is this, it's one of, one of America's last great exports is filmed entertainment. We still, uh, there's more movies shown around the world um, that were made in this country, and it's still one of the greatest industries that we have, and it's highly, highly successful, and, and, uh, and it's really thriving around the world. And you know, even though there's great television in people's home and people love to binge here and there, they still want to get out of the house. Kids want to get out of the house. Parents want to get out of the house. Couples want to go out together. So I always looked at it this way. I always thought when I was at Disney, it was our job to create an event. That's what we were. We needed. We needed to create a movie that it was an event, and as an exhibitor. It's our job to create a great experience, and and that's what we're trying to do. You know, we've we spent you know uh, well in excess of a billion dollars in the last three years, just upgrading and redoing our theaters around the world, so that it's you know they're clean, they're comfortable, they got the great seats, and and it's uh, the fan, fantastic sound and great light on the screen. Laser projectors are coming over the next 10 years. You're going to see even more light on the screen, even brighter, even blacks are going to be darker. It's going to be crisper because we're going to be rolling out lasers around the whole, around the whole country.
our kind of final two questions that we end with is what is your favorite UCLA memory and who is your favorite Bruin? Okay, I'm going to take the first, the second one first because it's really easy. I've always been a big basketball fan, so my favorite Bruin, without question, is Johnny Wooden. Um, I think what Johnny Wooden did for the school, for athletics, for academics, for teaching athletes to be great young men is fantastic. So huge respect for Johnny Wooden, always have. So he's my favorite Bruin. My favorite um, memory from business school is probably doing our field study. The field study in business school is like your master's thesis. You do it with a group of people. And we did ours at CBS Television City. And it was like a consulting project. And I actually think doing that, having just the word video in my resume, might have even helped me get the job at Disney because we we did a consulting project for their video post-production group. And they were looking to say, how can we grow our business um, in this emerging video editing world? Um, and we did it. I did it with uh, three other three other students, and uh, it was like our you know our final project at UCLA, and it was a it was a wonderful experience. That's probably my best memory there. Before we let you go, feel free to give us a thirty second plug for Cinemark or something else going on in your life? You know, I guess I'll give the plug for Cinemark instead of going into something else in my life. But uh, the plug for Cinemark is... You can give me an extra uh, 30 seconds if you want to go into your life. <laughs> I get, well, I'll just do this. The, the plug for Cinemark is that um, in the midst of, of, uh, of all the entertainment options that people have, it's amazing that this technology of putting people into a darkened room, sitting next to each other, and you know maybe you know one or two people there, but the rest are strangers, and just, just how important and culturally relevant that still is. And uh, it's amazing how much you, more you enjoy a movie, especially a big action-adventure movie, a horror movie where you get scared, a comedy where you laugh, when you're in that big darkened room in that cinema, cinematic environment, and uh, the amazing part is that this business has been around for a hundred years through all the technology changes from VHS, which I was involved with, to DVD, to cable, to now streaming. It's amazing. Through it all, people still want to get out of their house and go into that darkened environment and enjoy that cinema, cinematic experience in a communal sense. So it's been really fun to be on both sides of the business. First, the, you know, the, the studio side of the business and now the, the theater uh, side of the business. And it's been a real privilege and, and honor. And, you know, UCLA uh, certainly uh, helped me get prepared for it. And I, and I appreciate it very much. Last question. If you have any advice for uh, current Bruins or Bruins that are young professionals out there, um, how, uh, how to make it and kind of how to have success in, in their career, what would it be? Um, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's, it's uh, either as undergrads or especially grad students, you know, you're, you're willing to, you just got to take that first job and, 
it's never going to be perfect. You're not going to be doing strategy. You're not going to be making the decisions. You're going to be doing the grunt work. Be willing to do it. Be willing to work really hard and and always, always, always look to do not only what your boss wants you to do, is asked you to do, but to do a little bit more. And by, by doing that, you, you, you stand yourself out. And uh, so it's what I always say to my kids too: do whatever you're asked and do a little bit more and be highly, highly reliable, diligent and hardworking and be, be recognized as the person when somebody says, I need you to do this. You're saying, consider it done. I'm on it. I'm getting it done. So it's that reliability factor. And then the final thing is relationships matter. And it's going back to the relationships you make in school, to your first job, your second job, build bridges, uh, don't break them because those relationships are going to either come back to help you or potentially hurt you. So, so have them help you. So relationships are key. And the best way to build the relationship is to take them out to? <laughs> to a Bruin game. How do you like that? To a Bruin game. <laughs> Curveball right there. <laughs> I know. I very much enjoy talking to you guys. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or guest recommendations at Bruin, the number one here at gmail.com. And please make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed learning more about awesome Bruins. And hopefully everything we talked about today didn't go Bruin one ear and out the other.